Intentional walk for Schwarber. They get to Davis. And with a pitcher spot now on deck, Alan Webster is up in the bullpen. Remember, the bullpen wasn't used on Friday, and Cubs were off on Thursday. Davis in the air, deep left. It is gone. That's a grand slam. The time. Welcome back to the framing the conversation podcast this is episode eight i'm fan graphs writer devin fink joined as always by mlb stats guru and published author jeremy frank and baltimore orioles super utility player taylor davis and today we have a special guest as we sometimes do this is a good friend of taylor's and i'll have him throw the excellent introduction so go for it taylor yeah, so uh, <clears throat> special guest today is Ben Carhart, who is the uh, major league bullpen catcher for the Baltimore Orioles. Yep. He, uh, we, me and Ben have played together since we were 12 years old, at in some sort of an or another, whether it be in summer ball. Um, we played summer ball together from the time we were 12 till we graduated high school, and we actually committed to the same junior college, went to rival high schools, and. Uh, Ended up kind of going our different routes for about three or four years, and then he uh, he got drafted by the Cubs a year after I signed, and we started playing together right away. So, um, you know, I'm really excited to have him on here. Really good baseball dude, and uh, you know, I'm just like I said, I'm super excited. So Taylor, when you guys when you guys were on the same team, who was who was the starting catcher? So. <clears throat> Ben was the starting catcher to start. He was when I I joined his team, and uh, he was definitely the starting catcher. I kind of played a little bit everywhere. I think my first game with the Gators actually, <clears throat> that was who it was. By the way, you're playing for the Gators, Boynton Beach Gators. If anybody's yep. wondering, we were really Boynton Beach Gators. No big deal. Cooperstown champs. Yeah, no big deal. Yeah. I wasn't there for that, but we we won't count it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I think I played left field. Um, yeah, you did. Or right field, and I, I tell you, if it was based off of that night, oof, I'd feel bad for those coaches. But uh, anyway, so he ended up being the starting catcher, and then uh, probably a year or two into it, he was just too good, and they wanted him to play every day, and they wanted him to pitch. So he moved to the infield, and I went to catch, and kind of stayed that way until all the way until uh, the Cubs had a particular draft pick uh, <laughs> a couple years after Ben. Ben, you want to tell a story? Well, this is one of Taylor's actually favorite stories um, to bring up because we were sitting there. Well, first off, yeah, I was a third baseman my whole life. After that instinct, pretty much I caught only because no one else really could. And then when we met Taylor and we were teammates, we finally had someone else that was catching. And he was way better than me at catching. So he stayed back there. So I played third my whole life. Just, okay, so yeah, we're sitting in Brevard. Uh, county man playing the manatees and it was a rain delay or rain out or something and draft was coming up and I've been playing third I think I had played like 108 of the 112 games at third base that season which was great for me you know it was my first full season and Taylor leans over at me and goes hey man who do you think we're going to take it to with this weird <laughs> with this weird grin on his face and I'm like, what the heck is this guy trying to say? You know, John Gray is what I've heard. And he goes, no, 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 man. I think we got to take this guy right here. He's a stud. His name's Chris Bryant. And I'm like, oh, God, I see a big 3B right next to his face. And I'm like, 
I'm like, you know, you know what, Taylor? Uh, I don't, I don't know. You know, his look at his swing there. I don't think it's gonna really translate. And sure enough, the Cubs take Chris Bryant second overall. And then, as all you guys are, had uh, know, or it's pretty uh, well stated that Chris Bryant's all of his debuts are pretty bad, and he had a really bad one over in uh, Boise, I think we were at still, and he went 0 for 5 with 5Ks. And I said, look, Taylor, man, uh, it's just not going to translate. So I was looking every day to see if he was coming to that high A because I kept telling Taylor he was coming and I was not going to play anymore. And he's like, no, man, you're for sure going to play. And then and then you go. <laughs> somehow he became my roommate. So not only did he take over the room in my hotel bed, but he also took over the field. So that was tough <laughs> to swallow. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, that's the day I became a catcher. There you go. Yeah, so that's that's a and then you know, as previously stated, it gets uh, even better from there also. Oh, does it? Yeah, it kind of does. Should I just keep going? Please go for <laughs> it. Sure. All right. So yeah, you know, you know, I look nothing. No, no offense to Taylor Davis at all, but because he was a catcher at the time, but I look at the year they make me a catcher, and I'm like, oh heck yeah, you know, the best any catcher hit was 241. <laughs> And I just had a horrible season, and I hit better than that, so this is great, you know. I become a <laughs> prospect again. So, well, little did I know, we go into the next season, and Taylor Davis brings back the leg kick and hits 320. Wilson Contreras leads the Southern League in hitting. We trade for Victor Caratini, and we draft Schwarber fourth overall, who became a catcher <laughs> in the minor leagues. They're trying to tell you something, I think. I think the Cubs organization oh, was <laughs> So if my coaching path wasn't paved out right then and there, I don't know when it was going to tell me it was time to coach. Um, and, and so now, uh, as Taylor said, you're the, the bullpen coach of the Orioles. Catcher, um, catcher. How, bullpen, sorry, bullpen catcher for the Orioles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how long have you been doing that? Is this your first season? or? Yeah, this will be my first uh, season doing that. I was in The last two years, I was in double-A coaching for the Chicago Cubs. And, and what sort of coach were you there? Um, so everyone... Um, I pretty much did infield for everybody. Like last year, we didn't really have an infield guy per se, so I was like had the infield ground ball duty for that team, and I also coached first base. So, so what drew you to, to bullpen catching? Um, so you know, I mean, really, I the bullpen catchers I know, they all kind of had two things in common, and one was <clears throat> they could be around all those guys in the bullpen and not be annoying and have some feel and be able to be there every day, which I like to pride myself taylor's taught me a lot in feel so don't let him be modest about it but um you know that helps out a lot and then just being around a big league team you know it was my dream to always be on a big league team as a player and when the opportunity came to kind of be with a team and travel and see how it all looks from that end i was like all aboard you know yeah so, uh, you yeah were, you were the uh, infield coach for for double a cubs so you got did you get to know nico horner pretty well yeah it was yeah me and Hor uh, nico we actually had this really cool uh set up in uh tennessee that it was kind of where our batting cages were he had his he was one of the best guys players i had ever worked with or even seen like in person you know he just gets after it every day he's a different breed and it showed i mean he went up there like he went from tennessee i think we played our last game and like a week yeah. later he was in san diego playing for the cubs were you surprised by that call up because it was pretty sudden like people didn't think that the cubs are gonna make that aggressive of a move but they kind of needed to because of what was going on at the end of the year were you surprised yeah. that that happened I was I was extremely surprised because being on the coaching staff, you know, obviously we hear of the rumblings and the moves possibly happening, and we they didn't even send him up to AAA. They were just letting him get ready for the fall league. Right. Um, yeah. 
So they didn't even send him up to AAA. So we're like, okay, you know, usually if they have an, an option to possibly play someone, especially with our AAA team going to the playoffs, they would have kind of, you know, let him go up there and play. And they sent him home. And then, like you said, it, everyone got hurt and Javi's thumb was messed up pretty bad, more than they thought. So they had to get somebody up there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, kind of shifting gears. I don't know, Jerry, if you had any more questions on that. But my, I always wonder about, like, when spring training was happening and you were starting to get a taste of what bullpen catching would be like um, this season, how much of a relationship do you think there is between the bullpen catchers and the actual catchers? Because you and Taylor, you know, you've, you've gone back to age 12. Um, so you guys, you know, is there a sort of camaraderie there that's, hey, we're all catchers, you know, sort of deal? It's kind of a unique situation because the guy in charge of all the catching is his name's Tim Cousins, and me and him go. He he was the guy that actually converted me from an infielder to like a catcher in pro ball. So we have a really good relationship. And then obviously with Taylor, I mean, he showed up a week before a lot of other people did, and it was just me and him every day. So I I love absolutely love the camaraderie of the catchers. You know, different breed per se, and we kind of go in there. I go in there every day with their early work and kind of try and form that relationship just because not only just I love talking to people to be honest but because a lot of times if pitchers are working on something they're either telling me or telling them so we can all work as a team together yeah, yeah so some, like you know, so, sometimes, some teams are not that lucky some teams um, there is like a bit of a rift like just depending on on who the guys are there there can definitely be a rift between the bullpen catcher and the catchers you know if if the bullpen catcher feels like he isn't getting credit he deserves or whatever it may be. Um, but I think it's important as a staff and like as a team for that not to be the case. You know, I think it wasn't, as Ben said, like it wasn't the case like that in Chicago. Everybody really liked the bullpen catcher in Chicago. And I think that um, it's, we're lucky enough here that like we have been and um, you know, it's, it's nice to have somebody that wants to help, you know, like, I think, you know, and we've talked about this a few times, but one thing that seems to go away, seems to have gone away a little bit in the game, in my opinion, is, like, just the concept that winning cures everything and, like, winning is important. And at the end of the day, like, Ben is in this to, to help a team win the World Series. Uh, like, at the end of the day, it's to help a team win every game. And so <clears throat> um, I think when you have that kind of attitude, it makes it really easy. Absolutely. So, so Ben, we've talked a little about this with um, Taylor, but I'd like to hear another uh, catcher's opinion on this. So, okay. there's been a there's been a lot of uh, talk about how the game uh, could be heading towards uh, more like an automated strike zone compared to like right. uh, the regular human. And I, I know Taylor. I think he said he was against it. But um, how do you and like other catchers that you've talked to feel about uh, that shift? So, I mean, just like Taylor, I mean, I absolutely love the metrics and the everything of that nature when it comes to receiving a baseball and using that plate and getting a, a pitch called to strike that was a ball or whatever. And I am very against it for that reason because of the like aesthetics of a catcher being back there and receiving and having a strong left hand. And I mean, Taylor, I can tell you right now why Taylor's against it because if there were no metrics in receiving and whatnot like Taylor might not have a job right now and he's very openly and he's very open about that and that's why it's so awesome to watch a guy like Taylor go behind the plate and receive the baseball like he does or you know and it's really fun to watch whereas if they do go to a robot you know I mean granted will it speed up the game I don't know what they're trying to do I know 
they'll miss pitches, whatever. But I really love that human element of the game. And one one other rule change. This is probably uh, further out. I've heard it mentioned a couple times in very extreme situations. But when the game goes into like the 16th or 17th inning and like a team's out of catchers and their guy gets hurt, I've heard a lot of people, not a lot of people, but when this comes up, I hear people saying that, oh, like the uh, the bullpen catcher should be like the, like the, again, the emergency goalie in hockey. I don't know if you're familiar with oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the emergency goalie before the game is like the guy that comes in. Oh, he's, like, he has, like, he like goalies in rec league or whatever, but like he, he can go. It's not like some random stranger and it's not a position player, but it is someone yes. that can't do it. And probably can't hit for like really well against major league pitching but is that something that i don't know if you've heard that around like proposed before i hear it once once every couple years when that situation comes up but would you be for that i would be so for that you have no idea i would i mean that would be dangerous you know i might be looking around and like tweaking taylor's cleat just so i can get in at bat here and there (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking though like i feel like i feel like and i don't know this but like i feel like at some point you have to be somewhat relieved going into every day knowing that you can't screw anything up. Like, that's so great. <laughs> oh, dude, like, that was the best part about coaching. Like, every time the crowd would get crazy in the ninth or eighth, I mean, these are minor league games, and I would think of, like, some anxiety I would get, and that just is not their coaching. Like, I'm just not – it's it's a different anxiety. Like, I'm more worried about players than I am, like, myself, like, f***ing up. <laughs> I'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but it's funny because, like, at, at I mean, at some point, like, you'd be it'd be like the twelfth or thirteenth, and you're gonna be back there, like, oh my gosh, like I gotta I gotta go in, like, what are we gonna do? Like, what? Like, I don't know. I I just feel like almost a little bit of of me, if I was a bullpen catcher, would be like, yeah, I don't know. Dude, that kind of happened. Like, like the highlights when the bullpen catcher is batting against like a like a ace closer in like the 13th inning and he like gets a right. double like all over every like ESPN and like MLB network and stuff. Cause the Toronto Maple Leafs lost to an emergency goalie. Right. Imagine <laughs> that's, that, like, that, yeah, that's, that's the equivalent. It would never happen. Like, like it, it would happen like once every couple of years, but when it does happen, it would be so fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then teams I would really be... need to carry a third catcher just for those emergency. Purposes. I think everyone would be for, yeah, that would be great. Something like the closest thing that like that happened to me somewhat. So my the last year I was playing, I was considered a player coach. And this is before I went to Tennessee and Taylor went up to Iowa. I was in Iowa on the like disabled list and I was essentially the bullpen catcher. Well, when we would have guys go up to the big leagues, they would activate me on the active roster. So they wouldn't have to call someone up from like extended spring training to join the roster or what, what have you. And we're in Reno and I haven't like, I haven't hit in probably – I hit BP every day, but I haven't hit or faced any, like, live pitching in over a month now. So uh-huh. I think Ryan Kalish went up to the big league, so they activated me. And in, we our starting pitcher was getting absolutely wrecked. So instead of doing a double switch in, like, the third inning, they call down to the bullpen. They call my name. They say, hey, you're coming up to, you're coming up to hit. And I get in there to face frickin' Archie Bradley. Three <laughs> – pit- Three pitches, strike out, walk back to the bullpen, and keep catching bullpens. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great story. <laughs> and that's essentially what I would think would happen in the big leagues. But you know, it would be a great time. Do you remember? Do you remember Kenny Socorro, Ben? Oh yeah. So Kenny Socorro, and and were you on that Peoria team when he was the coach? No, that was and, my first draft year. And he, Kenny Socorro, guys, was a player coach his last season. And I can't remember what happened, but something happened. They needed him activated for the day. Long story short, the game he was a he was like a shortstop. The game went like extra innings. 
and he ended up getting the win on the mound and hitting a walk-off homer. <laughs> that's crazy. That's wild. And that was the last game he ever played. That's no game. way. That's awesome. Yeah. Now we now he's like way up in the front office with the Cubs, like yeah, scouting. Hello. So so another catcher in the Orioles organization. I'm sure you you know him, Adley Rutschman, the recent. Oh, yeah. He's one of the one of the top prospects in baseball, recently drafted. So have you gotten a chance to to talk a bit with him? Is this for me or Taylor? Uh, you. <laughs> Either of you guys. You're both on the Orioles. Taylor, go ahead. Taylor no. had a good relationship with him. Yeah. No. I mean, I think we've talked about Adley a little bit. Um, oh yeah. I uh, I think he's extremely mature, um, and I mean that from a physical and mental standpoint. I think that um, the non-gradables are extremely good. I think the intangibles are there. Um, he is not. Um, he is a kid that is very confident, but in no ways cocky, which I you know it's a very good thing. And and he's he's setting his like he understands. Um, what he's trying to do every single day, and he goes out and tries to accomplish it. And, you know, you have a kid with that kind of mentality with the kind of, uh, you know, the tools that he has, the ability. Um, it's it's special, man. I mean, it's, it is. It's it's special from both sides of the plate, and it's extremely, uh, it's extremely talented and, and really well put together as a first, you know, as a first full-season professional catcher. Yeah, I mean – Everything you just said was spot on. I mean, the kid, he, it was impressive. You know, a lot of kids come into a camp and they're really eager to just play games, play games, show what they can do. But Adley took every day, whether he was uh, in the lineup or not, and he would focus as it was his game. He'd stand in on bullpens when no one else was. He'd always be picking people's brains, whether it was Taylor's or the other catchers or pitchers, and always trying to learn things that he didn't really know coming from college. So, I mean, it's just really awesome to see a guy with, like, his everything going around him and all the hoopla and everything. And he's just really grounded and really understands and gets it. It's really cool to see. Yeah. I mean, that sounds, that sounds great. I know there's always a fine line between confidence and cockiness, right? You can't be insecure in your ability. So, I mean, they talk about everything is really mental. You gotta, you know, everything you do is mental. You gotta be confident, but it's often a fine line. And like, there's a lot of baseball fans out there in general who like don't appreciate when guys hit home runs or do something and like, they should be, you know, able to be confident celebrating stuff like that. You know, I, I know that's kind of changing gears a little bit, but it's kind of all related. No. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I guess one other thing, one thing that I've always been curious about, I know this, you know, we move, we move topic to topic. We talk baseball. We talk. No, that's great. I love it. But one thing that I've always been curious about, and maybe you haven't really quite experienced this yet since this is your first season, but, like, what if a guy is in a bullpen about to come into a game and he is just angry or upset or, like, frustrated? He's not he's not doing what he wants to do. He's, and I know these guys are pros, but what if a guy – you know, there have been times when I was pitching when I was a kid and they'd, they'd have me warm up before a game, right, and I just was not hitting my spots or anything. And that, you know – what would you have to do to calm them down? Because they're about to come into a game. It's probably going to be a close game. It's probably going to be late innings. You know, what is your responsibility to be like, hey, it's fine, trust your stuff, stuff like that? So, um, I mean, as far as I could see from the Orioles' standpoint of just being up there and being with those guys, because that was really the first time. I never got to go to a big league camp or see that side of, you know, established big league players in spring training. Uh, or whatnot, or even warm them up to go into a game. And a lot of those guys, 
when they get to that level, if they are upset, whether it's three, four, five pitches in a row where they do something where they're not happy with, when they have that kind of happen, you know, they're really good at resetting, having a drink of water, or whatever it is that gets their mind right. And I haven't necessarily had to deal with that per se. Um, maybe in the minor leagues I would, but that was, you know, really honestly, as a catcher, you kind of are there and that's the greatest thing about being a catcher is you just kind of console them. You have the guys that you can kind of jump at them a little bit and like wake them up. There's guys you got to console, you know, kind of like, Hey man, it's all right. You're going to be fine. And you got to know what kind of guys you have up there and you just kind of roll with the punches. And if I've seen a lot of guys look really bad in the bullpen and go out and have the best outing of their life. So, I mean, you know, you never really know. So, so Ben, I recently, like just like a minute ago, <clears throat> I put out a question on my Twitter saying I'm doing a podcast right now with a, a bullpen catcher. And if you have any questions for a bullpen catcher, let me know. So I got a few good ones. So the first one, I can, I'm going to ask this for you and Taylor, because I think you guys can both answer this. If you guys could catch a bullpen session for any pitcher in the majors or former pitcher or whatever, who, who would you choose? Oh, Taylor, you want to go first or what? I mean, I, for me, I think it's probably a no brainer to go Greg Maddox. Um, <laughs> honestly, be pretty easy. Like, I just think, I, it's it, that's it getting off scotch free i mean you don't even have to move yeah it just it's you know on top of the fact that it's fun what i enjoy seeing in that is that like those dudes know exactly what they're trying to do in every single bullpen and they do it and and i that's it when pitchers execute stuff it's so exciting for me as a catcher um to like see that i feel like a dad you know like watching a kid like i called that pitch man yeah um <laughs> So like having having somebody do that for every single pitch of a bullpen, I think that'd be kind of fun. Uh, but other than that, it would probably have to be something like uh, now this is going this is going back. You guys definitely don't remember watching this guy play, but Brandon Webb. Uh, yeah, on Arizona, right? Yeah, yeah, he was I remember a big him deal with he Arizona. Had like good years, and then it was like what happened? I just, I just remember like he had at the time. I feel like he was like he brought back the power sinker. Like, he was a super sinker baller, and I just feel like he was, like, the famous guy throwing hard sinkers, and I always thought that would be a really fun guy to catch because of how, like, how sharp the sinker was. Wow. I got to I gotta say, I, I think my favorite guy to catch on the easy side of things, like you said, would probably be a Jamie Moyer. That would be fun yeah. to catch. That would be really I fun. Um. <laughs> Really fun and easy. Uh, but the other guy I was thinking, he just I just found out he had Tommy John today. But I think catching uh, Syndergaard stuff would be incredible. Like just being able to see what the guy can do with that elite stuff. Like every pitch is that elite, and he can command it somewhat. Like I think that would be awesome. Yeah. And another one more great question I got. I, I thought this I wasn't gonna follow up with a bunch of Q and A stuff here, but I got a really good question. So you, so you have a, a coaching background. So as a bullpen catcher, do you have any input on like who comes into the game? Like, if you know that someone's really like feeling it out there in the bullpen, do you have any input whatsoever, or do you do you know if you're going to have any input for for what pitcher could enter the game in relief? Um, I know for a fact that I will not have any input on that. Um, <laughs> Would you like I, to? Do you think you'd be able to help the team with that input? Um, I think it would be awesome to have that responsibility. It would be really cool to sit down and like really explore these different scenarios and like look at the metrics between the opposing lineup and who we have ready in the bullpen. Um, but uh, to be honest with you, I 
I think I would love doing it, but I would hate the wrath of, hey, why did you put this guy in here? Like even what the, you know, I just, I'd rather just sit there when the phone rings, hey, who's going in? All right, let's go. And then that's kind of, I'd rather that, honestly. Yeah, but I mean, I, that's actually such a good point. Like if I ever, you know, do work in a front office, I think to get that intangible, I'm like as a, you know, you catch every guy, you know who's on, you know who's not. I would consult more. I don't think more information is ever a bad thing. And I think I would consult my bullpen catcher. Hey, like, who do you know has been feeling it today? Just kind of put names in the back of my manager's head. Maybe the eighth inning guy is kind of not on it today. And the bullpen catcher might have a better idea than, say, uh, the guy would be willing to say. And, and I guess I could see there being a potential rift where, like, the bullpen catcher's like, hey, I don't want this guy coming into a game. The manager doing that. And then the guy getting mad. But I don't know. I just. I, I would consult him. I, I would be curious just to kind of have that information because maybe there's more of a, a, connect, a connection there between the bullpen catcher and the guys that are that are out there. Yeah, I mean, that would be definitely one way to look in like outside of the box to see what we got going on. But at the same time, to combat that a little bit, it would be hard because like when the manager calls down like, hey, um, for example, with the Orioles, you know, get Michael Givens going. Michael Givens takes about 15 to 20 pitches to get ready to go into the game. So I have to know within those 15 pitches, like, hey, is this guy ready to go or is he just taking a little longer to get loose today kind of deal? So, like, it's hard in that sense, too, because those guys don't really throw in the bullpen until they're ready to go in. So it would be hard to know, like, what they have that day, per se. Gotcha. Yeah. That's interesting. Right. I mean, you go ahead, Taylor. Uh, no, I, I was just going to change topics. So if you had anything else on this topic. Uh, no, go yes. for it. Um, so, you know, with the, like, the virus thing going around, mm, yeah, everybody, I was ask this. everybody's doing these, like, lists and all that kind of stuff. I got one mm. for you guys that I it, – it's you're not going to be able to find it now, but I think um, I think we should do, like – I. There should, there could be, there's got to be a way that we can make a correlation between about underrated players, and what I mean by that is like maybe the farthest away they are between their actual value in we can use F4 uh, versus their like their likeness is known. Like the hundred most popular baseball players in Google and the hundred best baseball players ever. I cool. Taylor, I think Jeremy Taylor, did let me like let this. me tell you right now. I actually did yeah, this. Yeah, Jeremy uh, did this. I had this exact idea last year. So I had. Dude, uh, I worked on this too. This took so yeah. much effort in it. Like it's but so I would hard. Love to, I would love to revisit it, maybe even a different <laughs> way. Here's how we here's how we did it. So we took all of the say like top 200 players in terms of in terms of war for whatever season we were looking at. Okay. And we put them. So we had those listed out with their war. And then there's also this website. I don't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but it. All our it has, ideas. All, it's called All Our Ideas, and you can yeah. you put in all of the names of the players or, like, all of whatever you're looking at, and it gives the uh, the person who's taking it. They just have to choose one or the other. And so for my question was, like, who who have you heard more oh, about? Oh, I did that. I did that. Yeah, so it's who have you heard more about this year. And so when you have 200 players on there and you have – I mean, I remember that thing got, like, 100,000 votes because everyone was so into it. Like, they all get to vote for this project that we're doing. And then at the end of, like, we had 100,000 votes or whatever, and you had a pretty good list of – like from from zero to a hundred, like what percent of the time does that player win the okay. matchup in terms of those two players? So then we looked at the correlation between their war and then also tricks. other factors to see like what makes a player popular. And we we really couldn't figure everything. Like there were there were so okay. many different factors that it was like impossible to guess. Just yeah, I actually have the spreadsheet right here. Okay, this is so I'm so glad so, you brought that up. Who, I totally forgot. Um, this is this is so tough. 
hold on a second. Um, who is who is who is is there anybody who was really close to like to their own war, like where they ranked and like their likeness? You know what I mean? Like, so, there, so, okay, Mike so Trout, I actually Mike have Trout the results right now. Mike yeah, Trout so was I have like the, the, I have the results. and the most and the best. I think it was one of them. I don't have it. All. So I, mean, I have type. them. I found them. I found the spreadsheet. So, um, yeah, the question we asked, this was we asked around in the 2018-19 offseason because the last edit on the spreadsheet was made February 1st, 2019. We asked, as Jeremy said, the question, who have you heard more about? So Trout um, was the most, followed by Bryce Harper, then Clayton Kershaw, Aaron Judge, Mookie Betts, Shohei Otani. Uh, Jose Altuve, Justin Verlander, Giancarlo Stanton, and Max Scherzer was your top 10. And then Bartolo Colon was 11. And then what we started to do, we started to build in, I think, Jeremy, wasn't I responsible for market size or something? Yeah, we had market we started, size in there. We, we had, had experience in there. The number of, number of wins, like their team was above 500. Um, we, like, we tried to, we tried it. It was extremely difficult to figure out because the idea is like if, okay if you can model player popularity you can see which guys should be more popular than they are based on how good they are and then those guys you could claim is underrated and then the guys that are way more popular than they should be those guys in theory are overrated um but it was extreme yeah i mean we started doing the population density of the city that they play in and then we had to adjust that and then we did the average the home time zone we had in there we had time zone, um, and then we like summed all. Yeah, we we spent. But like, I mean, I, the question was like, there were so many things we couldn't measure. Like how, if we didn't know, if we didn't watch baseball, and we're like just like a scientist or like a mathematician looking at all this data, why would we're like looking at this like why the hell is Bartolo Colon popular? We have no idea if we've never <laughs> yeah. watched baseball before. There's, he's there's such no an outlier. Number, there's no number. I guess you could look at player weight if you wanted to, but it's only really relevant for him. Player yeah, weight. I mean, that's even if, reason, I mean, that's probably if, the reason. Did you look into jersey sales? We didn't, but that's but, also that could we could but, have just use that instead of using the entire right. Jersey sales that's right. wouldn't have that's necessarily what I was been saying, an like, input. Could you right. not input? Like, that's an output. Yeah, that's what true. What about what about just like uh, Google searches? Like we could do ooh, that yeah. too. But the could question, so I guess, the up? question is, the question those is, are more response variables than input variables. I would say. So the question is, do we want to measure? Because there are, there are different things you can do. I think I've did actually both of these. You could do player popularity or like how overrated or underrated a player is. I think I actually did the overrated underrated thing this off season where I like, I took the top 200 players or whatever. And I just asked, who do you think was better this last season? And so then you had like the graph of like how their, their war versus how good people's war thought, like how good people, yeah, thought, yeah, yeah, people thought they were. And I don't remember who exactly was there, but I, I posted on Twitter. There were definitely like Charlie Blackman. I remember was one of the, the more overrated ones, but it was, it was interesting to do it. But that here, here's the, here's the problem with that though. Right. A lot of Jeremy's Twitter followers is right. not the, the true sample of baseball fans. If you're following exactly. Jeremy to begin with, you already know that Cattell Marte is one of the best right. or had one of the best seasons Absolutely. in baseball last year. But like yeah. baseball fan Joe wouldn't know that. Maybe well, this is something that, that you can you help follow with. Jeremy, are you saying if you follow Jeremy, you should know something about Matt Chapman? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Right, Matt Chapman. It was funny. Matt Chapman was actually overrated in my poll. But I, everyone knows Matt Chapman is underrated. But everyone follows me. I tweet about Matt Chapman so much. He people actually thought he was better than he actually was, which is my but, fault. But here, which is why that doesn't work. Right. But then here's also another problem with this, which it's really fun to go in and like look at these results and then look at like why it doesn't work. It's like we hear a lot about Bryce Harper, 
But a lot of people say that Bryce Harper is overrated, but then Bryce Harper becomes so overrated that he's actually underrated. Because if every single person <laughs> in the world thinks a player is overrated, then one of two things must be true. Either they're rated po- properly or they're underrated. Because if everyone thinks the same way, then everyone understands that, okay, yeah, Bryce Harper is Bryce Harper. Yeah. I and guess. I think I think the overrated, I think a lot of people misconstrue the word overrated with that. Like Bryce Harper could be overrated, but he's still an above average player at worst, which is Absolutely. why I think that kind of turns into the thing that Bryce Harper could be underrated because people keep calling him overrated, which bad. means people think he's bad, but he's not yeah. bad. No, no. Bryce Harper is not bad, at, at not bad, but he's not like, you can't compare him to Trout, which like, right, unfortunately right. for him, it's like always, at least in the beginning of their forever. careers. It will, before... forever, it will forever be, like if, if. Honestly, you know what's crazy is that if Randall Grichik was like was an extremely good player. Don't get me wrong, Randall Grichik is a very good player, but he's as we all know he's not on Mike Trout's level. But like if he was close to that level, it would be the exact same thing for him. Like oh right. my gosh, you took you took him before you took Trout. Like they have to compare to each other, no matter who they are. Grichik, Trout, and Harper are all three always going to be connected in some way. No doubt. Right, and, and but the, but I think we've reached the point, Taylor, where like it's just known that the, the you can't compare them anymore. They were they were compared for maybe the first, obviously their entire time they were prospects, and then they were compared for maybe the first four or five seasons of their careers, and then the comparisons kind of re came up after Harper yeah. won his first MVP. But at this point, it's common knowledge, right? Yeah, Mike Trout, cool. right, is in Bryce Harper. They can't be compared anymore. Do you guys? Do you guys? So the reason I brought up the underrated thing is this makes me a weirdo, I know, but I have like a player that I remember from my just from watching growing up. Like, do you guys have a player that you think of when you think of underrated player? It doesn't have to be a current player, but like when you think of the term underrated player, who comes to mind? Well, Matt Chapman for me. I mean, he, he'll always be – I mean, he's my favorite player, and I think he's underrated for a couple of reasons. One, because I think he's – a lot of people think he's, like, a good defender, but he's probably the best third baseman in baseball. Maybe Arenado is is one, two with him, but he is the best third baseman I've ever seen in my life. Obviously, I'm only 19 years old, so my life is not as long as your guys's. but he's the best third baseman I've ever seen. And also, he plays in Oakland, which is uh, – I think every player that plays for Oakland is underrated, unless they came from somewhere where they were overrated. Matt Olson is underrated. Marcus Semien is underrated. Mark Hanna is underrated. Just all of these guys that Oakland has. I mean, how did they win 98 games last year or however many they won? Because they have a, they have elite players on their team, but no one really cares. I mean, I was going mean, to say, I think you're, oh, the only thing that's hurting your argument right now with Matt Chapman there is that he's, at best, he's the third best player in that team, right? Oh, no, he's the best. He's the best player in that team. He's better than Marcus Simeon. Yeah, I think Marcus Simeon and Matt Chapman were neck and neck last year, but I think Matt Chapman has to do a lot less to be a better player because Marcus Simeon has to hit as well as he did last year, which yeah, he had but, not done until last year. But Matt Chapman is always going to be a terrific defender, and he's all, he's a better hitter, I think, going forward than Simeon is. But Simeon, how much more war did he put up last year? It had to be less than one more. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And that's I mean, the only reason that happened was because Chapman completely fell off for a month. I mean, he was on – he could have actually contended for an MVP last year if he didn't have, like, August where he was, like, oh for his last 55 or whatever. <laughs> but nice. but I think every player on Oakland, no matter what year it is, is, like, always going to be one of the more underrated players. I mean, like, in 10 years, I'll predict right now that 10 years from now, Oakland's best player is going to be underrated as long that's as fair. they're still, like, the Oakland A's and they don't spend yeah. a lot of money and 
they don't get a lot of attention. Okay. For, for me, I think. Oh, go ahead, Ben. Sorry. Oh, um. Well, I mean, I'm not educated up in this. I haven't looked at their war recently, but the first guy that comes to mind is Tommy Edmond for the Cardinals. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, if you ask anyone else besides a St. Louis Cardinal fan who that is, unless you're a Cubs fan or in the Central, like no one knows who that is. And that guy single-handedly like sparked that team to do what they did last year. The Cardinals have that every year too. I feel like just right random, every year, so someone much depth every year that some random dude who you've never heard of from Triple A <laughs> comes up in his first 40 games is hitting 380 or something like that right. every year. But yeah, that has, that's got to be the guy for me. Okay, Devin, what do you got? I think for me, growing up, I mean, I grew up a Phillies fan, so Carlos Ruiz. I mean, that that guy. Oh, sure. I mean, no one, I mean, he didn't, like, war-wise, never was fantastic. He put up a four-war season in 2010 and like, almost a five-war season in 2012. But I think one thing that isn't quantified um, all that well is game calling. And I don't think I have seen a catcher call as good of games as I've seen Carlos Ruiz call games. I mean, he, he caught multiple no-hitters. Um, yeah. I mean, he caught a high no-hitter at Cole Hamels. And he I was actually a good hitter, you know, during his peak. I believe and he he's like caught like is he the a few no hitters tied for right? the most tied for the most I think I think he's tied for the most was he, is it two or is it I think three no hitters three. right three two no he is the only player to in the uh, in the history of the National League to catch four no hitters and he's four. only one of two catchers ever to catch four with Jason Veritek yeah he caught a he caught a combined no hitter but Cole Hamill's no hitter right before Cole Hamill's was traded. And then the holiday perfect game holiday. and the holiday no hitter. No hitter in Miami. Yeah. How about this? Uh, Jason Veritek, one of my favorite game. facts here. One of the, uh, one of the only two players ever to play uh, little league world series, college world series, world series, world baseball classic and Olympics. Huh? Who's the, who's the other? Is it? I, I don't remember. I know oh. everybody. I mean, I always tell this, and I never remember who the other guy is. But um, <laughs> Michael Conforto played in the Little League, College, and Major League World Series. And then but he uh, might be the only guy. Can anybody name the same the guy, the only guy that played in the both the college and the regular World Series in the same year? Don Newcomb. No. No, 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 no. It was the guy. Uh, Brandon Finnegan. Yes, Finnegan. Finnegan. Yeah, sorry, I confused those two guys. Um. Okay, so my uh, my guy, I, I don't know, like, you guys are going to say he's probably not, but to me, I always felt growing up like Paul Canerco was underrated. Not that yeah. he was, in kind of the same way, I guess, as Bryce Harper, like, not that he wasn't seen as a good player, or I'm sure if you're a White Sox fan, obviously he's one of the best, you know? I just felt like they always tried to promote somebody else on that team, and like, Dude, he put up some really big years. He was good. I just, to me, he was the one guy that like his name never came up when people talked about like the most talented players in the game. But he yeah, was. he always he always had one more guy on his team that was like getting more fandom for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, and one one other thing that I want to bring up in the underrated, overrated discussion, whatever, is I think it has to be said like underrated among like amongst who? Because for me and Devin, I'm sure for us specifically, we like. People that follow us on Twitter are like really into like the, the advanced metrics and like like the deep like the war stats and all that stuff. But the common baseball fan is not like that. So if right, I went right, right. and tweeted right now that Yadier Molina is like the third best catcher in baseball right now, all my followers would be like, Are you serious? Like he he's five, yeah, he's washed, he's yeah, never that good. Yeah. But if I went 
and I and I tweeted the same thing to people who don't follow baseball that closely, like our fans, but don't look at the numbers. They'd be like, are you kidding me? He's the best catcher in baseball. Yeah, right. like, he's underrated amongst people that yeah. follow me, but he's he's overrated amongst people that 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 don't follow advanced stats as closely. So I think that there are players like that. I think Didi Gregorius a couple of years ago was a great example. He was very, very overrated amongst Yankees fans, but I think he was so overrated amongst Yankees fans that everyone else underrated him so much. So I think there are a lot of, there are a few interesting guys like that who are just so, like overrated by like a subset of fans and then just underrated by another like subset of fans. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, okay. And we I think we kind of talked about this one. Who who if you uh who on the pitching side and the hitting side, we can do both leagues if you want, um, is projected to have the biggest difference in a season. What do you mean? Like as far as oh. like who really, should pretty... who should do way better this year? Who like what whose stats showed that they should be that they underperformed last year? Devin, this is you, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the one guy I actually wrote about was Dansby Swanson. Um, I Dansby Dansby Swanson. I he so the, the really really fascinating thing about Dansby Swanson is he basically got better in every single underlying metric last year. But his overall offensive performance stayed below the league average because of bad luck. And I think that there's a chance he could be a 120 weighted runs created plus player or, or even better this season. Um, and I, I wrote an article about this. Um, basically, he started getting ahead in account more often and he started swinging at fewer fastballs um, outside the plate, especially um, the ones that weren't in the, in his wheelhouse. So he he, I think he is the um, he's the a big prime breakout candidate this year. I think among there were 142 hitters last year that had an ex woba uh, at least 100 batted balls with an ex woba of at least 500, and he was out on 33% of those, which is the 12th highest rate in baseball. Um, so you you put up those same sort of underlying numbers this year with some better luck i think dansby swanson could end up having a fantastic year if there is a year um uh taylor i think it's funny that you asked that question because if you, well not really funny kind of sad because if you asked me this question two weeks ago i'd say uh my, my two pitchers would be chris dell and noah Syndergaard. Like, yeah. those are the two guys that are gonna do a lot better this year than they did last year and obviously those aren't like more those are very well-known guys but they had they looked pad if you look at like their ERA numbers, yeah. I don't know what the records looked like, but they're much better pitchers than their win loss or ERA or whatever showed last year. And those are the two guys I really expected. Like if I'm playing fantasy baseball, those are the sleepers. And then they both very like close to each speaking, other. Speaking um, of playing fantasy baseball, right. Syndergaard was supposed to be one of my keepers this year. Oh, tough. Ouch. Yeah, fantasy okay, baseball is so, gonna be really weird this year. Is, with, speaking uh, of, have, have you guys talked about what the possibilities of what the season could entail yet? No. Yeah, I was gonna bring this up. Did you see the Boris plan? Yeah, like I, I was gonna ask you guys what you, if you were in charge, what no. would you do with the season? What the Boris? Sorry, Taylor. Oh, I haven't seen the Boris plan yet. All right, so so the Boris plan is pretty interesting, and I don't necessarily endorse this. Myself, I need to do more reading on it and more just reflection. But his idea, he, pro- he proposed two plans to Major League Baseball, um, a 144-game season beginning July 1st, which I think is more realistic, or a 162-game season beginning June 1st with the World Series over Christmas. 
and he identified 11 ballparks that you could play the entire playoffs throughout the month of December because they're either in temperate climates like Los Angeles or Miami or their dome stadiums, which I guess Miami still works because that's retractable. Um, you could be playing playoff games in Toronto and um, Milwaukee, stuff like that. And the idea behind all of this is that if you set these series in specific cities, there's time for corporate sponsors and they can become like like um, more like events like the Super Bowl. Morris has always been a big proponent of neutral site World Series, at least for the first two games, so that like you can have corporate sponsors and everything and the city kind of set before the um, before the, the two teams make it to the World Series so that, you know, it can become more of an event. And if they did something like that, like imagine what the sort of parties that they'd be having if it was in Miami, like where they have the Super Bowl this year or something like that. Uh, I think it'd be pretty interesting. I don't, I don't necessarily know that like the players would be for that because that means the regular season would go like through November and that could be potentially problematic for like Boston and New York and, you know, the Midwest with Chicago, but it was interesting. And I, I guess it gave me a little bit of hope that we could see 140 plus games this year, but I don't know. So, so that's kind of the general layout. So Taylor, Ben, Taylor, start with you. Putting you on the spot here, seeing the Boris plan, hearing about it, thoughts? Um, I don't know, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very much right now leaning on the side of whatever everybody wants to do, I'm going to do. That's kind of, <laughs> you know, I, I don't have enough say to... People pleaser. Yeah, I don't have enough say to do anything, but... Uh, you know, I think that I think that's really interesting. Um, I think you know, I think like the the big thing with us, like the player, like I, I hope the fans know, like we want to play as many games as possible. Like I think if we could play 162, we'd want to play 162. Like, um, but at the same point, we want to do whatever's realistic, and we understand that. I, I don't I don't really know you know how these how these talks are going but we're at this point we understand something's going to be different than it has been in the past so i don't know like i said i I, i'd have to look at it more um i do i think uh sorry i think personally that if they're if they don't do the boris plan and they still plan on starting the season like in the mid-season i would rather have it that they shorten the regular season even more and add games to the playoff series. Because I think if the you have a shortened season, like 81 games, you're going to have the chance that a team that doesn't deserve to make the playoffs gets in. And I think you need to like almost mitigate that risk by making it so that the better team has a better chance of winning each postseason series. Like I think nine that's game series? I think nine game series for the World Series and the CS, oh, seven shit. games for the uh for the DS, and then three games for the wild card would make sense. Because then you have a then you you you're not gonna have like I know Mariano Vera says like Oh, if, if someone wins the World Series, like they're not really a true champion. But I feel like if you make it like that, it really makes it so like the best the team that plays the best is probably going to be the team that is the best over that many games. You can't fake it well, over yeah, that's two was, nine game series, the seven game right, series. I agree with that. Three game well, series. Here's what I'm gonna ask though. This is when you talk about having a, a season with less games, you're taking you're adding variability, correct? The shorter the season, the more variability right. there is. Right. Correct. So if you're a team like the Dodgers, I think we talked about this, you're probably voting way against a, a shorter season because you just trade well, you want the very you want there to be less variability because less variability means you're gonna win. Yeah, right. I mean, look at the Nationals last year, started nineteen and thirty one. I mean they'd have what, yeah. thirty games left. Yeah, and I think that's gonna be an issue for, for all the teams, but I think if you're the Dodgers and 
the MLB says like, okay, each team, there's going to be 110 games this season between the regular season and postseason. I think that they'd almost rather have those games in the postseason because they're going to have this. What if you have a five game series in the DS and you lose like just based on five games, you had such a good team. I think they'd rather have the extra couple games to prove themselves with the roster that they have before. Before bad I think yeah, they're, they're going to make the postseason no matter how many games, as long as the season's more than like a 20 game season. I think they're pretty comfortable. They're making the, the playoffs no matter what. And I think they'd rather just have less risk almost in the postseason that they're going to play a bad few games and be, be done with their uh, season. I got you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, I, I think a sprint would be awesome. A season sprint of 83 or whatever, 82 games. I think that would be so awesome. I mean, it'd be like almost like college again. Whereas if you lose a game, every game you lose is kind of like, man, we can't like lose that game. Pass. It's like college. Yeah. Basketball. Right. Yeah. Like, right. you know, like, um, there'd be teams like you guys said, getting in that, normally wouldn't get in that would be fun i mean especially for a team like being with the orioles who no one's really counting us in anything and you know go- hey don't say nobody's counting us they were my they were my sleeper pick for the year baby one <laughs> uh, one proposal that i've seen just kind of hop in here is what if they did two seven inning double headers uh, like um, like occasionally throughout the week to make up extra games. So like you play nine inning games for most of the week, but maybe on Thursdays and Sundays you play 14 innings and and then you catch up games that way. And I, and I know these guys, I mean, I know doubleheaders aren't super common, especially scheduled doubleheaders aren't super common in, in Major League Baseball, but like I know all throughout travel ball um, and even some college teams, I know Dartmouth had a lot of scheduled doubleheaders. Like guys are used to playing doubleheaders. The minor, minor league does, league does the double headers. We went to one last with year with rainouts. Yeah, we did do that last year. Um, so, what what would do you think the players' response would be to that? I don't know. Um, I'm sure that's going to be thrown out there, though. Uh, it has been all. It time. has been. Yes, I mean, like I, I, I like double headers. I think they're fun. I, I think if they expand the rosters, then that you could really do it. Like you give, yeah. I mean, that way, team more players can get called up. Teams have more guys. I mean, I definitely think and, it's a possibility. You know, yeah, maybe as long as it's not travel days. Right. Maybe expand the roster to thirty guys per team, so then more guys get service time. And yep. I'm sure players are always in favor of that. And then you get more pitchers. You know, set. You know, the current limit is what thirteen pitchers, twenty six man roster. Maybe set it to a thirty man roster with. I don't know, 15, 16 pitchers. They just make it so and, you have to designate the 25 players before the game, and then it's not an issue. Yeah. Like or the 26. The 26, right. Or whatever so, it is. Just make so sure you that guys, you have the... Uh, you guys know how the winter ball rosters work? No, I no. don't. Okay, so the winter ball rosters, there's an 80-player roster that is... or th- this is These are not exact numbers, so don't quote me. And I, to all my uh, Dominican friends, I'm sorry if I get this wrong, but... Uh, <laughs> There's there's a uh, there's like an overall roster right like each team has this designated group of players that they can choose from that I believe is around 80 players okay and that's for the season and then for the week they have a uh, a 40 man roster so within this week you can designate so many of these players to play or not play on the roster and then every day there's a there's a 25 man roster that makes sense. Yeah, so it really does. Like it's a really good system. Um, it seeming it seems like it is, except for players. Not it's not. It's actually it's a terrible system for players, but it's a good system for teams. Yeah. So whoever's on the lineup card is in the game. Pretty much, and there's like a billion relievers. 
Um, <laughs> one, one other thing I do want to ask. Um, I don't know if you guys would know the answer to this, but I was talking. I think I was talking to Devin about this yesterday, actually. And if they're if they got to the point where they're like, it's like maybe it's like August, and there's like there's no way we're gonna be able to. Like, say the coronavirus study is over in August, but they're like, there's no point of playing, like, two or three months of the season. We're just going to resume in 2021. Do you think there's a chance that the players themselves could, like, form, like, rec teams almost and just play some scrimmages, broadcast those games? Like, draft <laughs> I their hope own so. Teams? I hope so. That I would be like, so August, fun. If, there's an, if you're in August and the ballparks say it's okay, whatever, and, like, the players are like, we want to play baseball because we're not going to go a year without playing, like, an actual game of baseball. And then they just, like, draft themselves, whoever wants to play in, like, 12 different teams, and they just play against each other a couple times a week just to, just to, just to play baseball. Would you guys – do you think you the players what, before that? I'll tell you what I would be for. And I, you know what? Let me just – I'll put this out here in the public. Although <laughs> okay. I don't think – I don't think – I mean, I think we're for sure going to play. But let's just say, hypothetically, that they said, hey, you know, like, whatever. I think – we should draft slow pitch softball teams and go city to city and play slow pitch softball. That would make more money than the that would make more revenue than the actual baseball games in some cities. I feel like if like Tampa would sell more tickets to watch guys play like the all an all star team play slow pitch softball. I feel like would would, uh, would Giancarlo stand hit a ball through the dome in Tampa? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be pretty fun for sure. I hope I hope that there is some form of baseball even if it's not through the major leagues i feel like the players want to play the players really want to play and i hope they're playing in like january they'd be playing in august it would just be like them someone would organize and they'd be playing with their friends it wouldn't necessarily be like it'd be a change of pace they wouldn't be playing with their their teams they just get to like team up with their friends and see like college guys like playing with their teammates or whatever yeah i think that's pretty fun but i would rather have baseball for sure Maybe they form like super teams. I don't know. Like, isn't didn't someone start like a big three basketball league where they took like former NBA yeah, stars yeah, and they'll like sick. team up? Yeah, yeah. we need that, or we yeah. would need that. I, I just hope we have regular baseball, but we would need that. <laughs> I would tell you that. So what? It, you know, I guess I can go ahead and make this announcement, Ben. Let's just go ahead and make it as what soon else? as as my playing career is over. Me and Ben are going to train for the Olympics and be <laughs> the official badminton American Olympic team. So whoever is on the Olympic wow. team right now, you watch better out. watch rear ends. I'm coming up. I'm coming do you have up any? Do you have any prior badminton experience? Uh, badminton itself? No, I do not. He has the coordination though. I mean, catchers probably are the most like well-suited athletes out of like any position in any sport to play band besides like tennis or whatever. But like there, I mean, you got to say like baseball players, specifically catchers gotta be up there with guys that you could just put in a badminton. They'd be good at it. Absolutely. I've always tried to, I've always said like my, I always like say I'm the, I'm the most uh, athletic, unathletic person you'll ever meet. <laughs> like I, I, I try to explain to people that like I am the first you're in, guy you you're, in, you're on a major league baseball team. You can't consider yourself non-athletic. No, I'm. Have you ever? Well, you see me in person. You might not say that. You're yeah, literally like, <laughs> that's an athlete. Like that's your your profession. No, Taylor. I'm Taylor. Saying, Taylor. No, when? I'm saying, no, I'm saying I'm I'm athletic. I'm athletic. Okay. But if you look at me, you're not gonna go, man. That guy works out. Okay. You're not gonna say that. I see. So, I see. Uh, yeah, it's just a joke, but. Anyway, so, um, I have no idea where I was going with that. It's all good. No, Taylor, Taylor, Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> I have an announcement. 
Yeah. When baseball does come back, I am going to drive up to Baltimore and see you play. Yeah, you are. I'm going to visit yeah. Devin this summer, and I'm going to come with him. Yeah, we're, we're all going to go up to Baltimore. All right. We're just can, you get us, can you get us some signatures in the bullpen, Ben? <laughs> Absolutely. Just Richard, make sure you Richard do it before Blyer. the game starts, please. All right, oh, cool. Yeah, get us a Richard Blyer signature. We love Richard Blyer. <laughs> He's our favorite pitcher on the Richard podcast. Richard Blyer is his hero. I, I, I've... He's just taken out of like a life of his own since we started talking about him on this podcast. We need to get Richard Blyer on the podcast. Yeah, if you if yeah, you know Richard Blyer on the podcast, just text him. Yeah, Ben, I do have one more question because I know we're running out of time, but a lot of people ask this on my tweet, and okay. they want to know. I guess Taylor can answer this too since he's also a catcher. Um, they want to know how the hell do you keep your knees healthy? Mine are terrible at 29 from just years of soccer and running. That was just from one person, but a lot of people have asked that question. So what what's the secret? The I mean, secret honestly, it's don't flexibility. Run. We're run, but I mean it's don't, flexibility. Don't. <laughs> if you sit, yeah. if you sit, if you're squatting on your feet per se and not necessarily on your your toes, like it kind of opens up your hip flexors and it's more pressure on your hips than your knees. So that helps out a lot. But guys that are really flexible are putting very minimal stress on their knees. Gotcha. Yeah, and and the other thing, the the one big thing I remember somebody telling me was um, to use the big muscles in your legs, not the little ones. A lot of people right. use the muscles in your legs that like that are in your calf and in your ankles, like these little tiny ligaments and, and tendons and muscles. And um, they're not really using the, the big muscles in your leg, you know, like the big quad muscles, the big hamstring muscles. Um, so understanding how to get your body into positions that the wear happens more on the muscles that can handle it. Yeah. Got it. And then, and then speaking of knees, this just popped into my head. What are both of you guys' take on the one knee that, <laughs> Uh, thing that catchers are doing to improve their framing. I've read a bit about it. I know that like Gary Sanchez is trying it out, and JT Romuto I know has has tried that because they've seen that like, hey, this might decrease our arm a little bit, but framing is way more important than you know catching one or two base dealers a game. I w- I was gonna answer the other one saying now that we have the alternate knee set up, I can just kind of do that and rest in the bullpen too, so that helps. <laughs> <laughs> um, but go ahead, Taylor. No, I mean, yeah. Uh, look, I'm I'm all about whatever Im- improves the game. I um, there is definitely a sense that uh, the strike is more valuable than anything else when catching, um, which is why I think it's crazy that people want the automated strike zone when, for the first time in the history of the game, we can truly correlate how much a guy changes the game back there. So, right. um, I, I, that's one another reason that I think that you shouldn't have the automatic strike zone, but. Um, anyway, if, if it if it comes out that that these guys are good solely because of what they're doing with their knee, then I think everybody needs to do it. I, I think there's a lot of factors that go into it, um, uh, you know, and a lot of it being staff related. A lot of it comes down to the pitchers, and, um, in my opinion, and, and what they want, and what they're okay with. And so, you know, for those guys that are able to do it, um, great for them. And uh, I, you know, if like I said, it's something to me where. I need more than just a year of where it works. I want to see um, some sort of correlation. You know, I want some sample size. So if, if we get to, you know, the next two or three years and it's still kind of heading that way, then, um, you know, I think it really needs to be looked at and considered that everybody kind of take that. But at the same time, I think, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And I think somebody else has just found a way to, you know, I mean, shoot, back in the day they used to do it. It's not like it's never happened. We just got away from it with the new gloves. 
and a lot of and a lot of that a lot of people doing that transferring like a Gary Sanchez you're talking about a lot of that has to do with the flexibility and their ability not to get out over front like their posture over in front of their knees and yeah, absolutely. that that helps with the low pitch for those guys right right so like some guys it, it's huge and I've seen some guys like we were talking about that earlier Taylor and camp like some guys regressed metrically going to that setup or as opposed to the old right. style so, so, you know, it's not making everybody better. So, I, like I said, I, I think there's something to it. Um, I think a lot of really good catchers are doing it. And so I guess the question then becomes, are a lot of good catchers doing that or are a lot of the catchers that are doing that good, if that makes sense? Absolutely. Yeah, that definitely does. Um, so in my opinion, I haven't, I haven't answered that question personally. I think right now, if you ask me right now, I think I would tell you that a lot of good catchers are doing the one knee stance more than a lot of the one knee stance guys are good catchers. Definitely makes sense. So that's, that's my opinion on it. Um, but I don't think it's bad. I think if you, you know, obviously I think it's a great thing to have in your arsenal, especially, you know, if you can't get a, a low strike because the guy behind you is not calling it, you know, if you can give him a different look any way you can, and you can still be, be able to receive the ball like you can in a normal squad. I think that is awesome. So changing in game based on the umpire, changing in-game, having oh, your bag you of change, tricks. You change, you change in game. You know, one of the guys like you go watch Austin Hedges catch. You know, who obviously like he, you guys know he's one of the best, if not the best, in baseball with receiving, and he mixes it up. You know, he'll he'll move around. He'll and and that's kind of like part of it. Like uh, to me, it's kind of like a dance back there, man. Like I kind of just kind of go with whatever's whatever's working or whatever I think's working, and um. You know, I'm just trying to satisfy my partner. That's all. I was going to say, like a, lot of, a lot of rippers will tell you. What did you say? Uh, I was just going to say, it's kind of like you have your own repertoire. Like, pitchers have different pitches. You guys have different setups. Absolutely. Like, no one tracks that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ben, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I was just going to say some pitchers will tell you, too. Like, some of them really like it. Some of them hate it. And it just – everyone kind of – Whatever that guy in the mound wants is kind of what you, and if you can do it all, then it helps out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's interesting. Well, Jeremy, do you have anything else? Taylor, do you have anything else? No, I think it, this is a great episode. This yeah, was a great this episode. Was, this was good. Do you guys want to have some type of a? Anybody have any type of a like last minute question or poll for us or for Twitter? Hmm. Oh, I don't. Well, I'll update you guys on a project I'm starting. Sure. Okay. Okay. So every three days on my Twitter account, I will ask my followers, will MLB play this season? Will it come back this year? And then after maybe about three or four weeks, I'm going to write up people's confidence in a season over time. Oh, nice. What I are like you it. Just, like, you like well, why were you just randomly typing players earlier? Oh, that? That <laughs> is out of boredom. That that is really just out of boredom. Every night, the last couple nights, I've been up very late. Um, usually, Facetiming Jeremy because like, yeah, why we were, not? We're like, oh my God, my sleep. We were up till five a.m. one night, but um, and like we were talking about how Bryce Harper is one of my personal favorite players, and then Jeremy was pointing out how. So I guess this is kind of doxing myself because I tw- I tend to tweet about Bryce Harper a lot, and um, I guess no one really notices that other than Jeremy. So, so they're like, just just type Bryce Harper and tweet it now. 
So I just typed Bryce Harper and tweeted it out. And then I say, and then within like 10 seconds, I got overrated, underrated, overrated, underrated. So then last <laughs> night I was like, you know what? I'm going to tweet someone else and see what sort of responses I get. So I tweeted Vladimir Guerrero Jr., which I just looked at like the most popular trending players on the fan graphs, like who's searching for them most often. So Guerrero was up there. So I'm like, all right, I'll tweet him out. And then someone was like, you can do better. So I'm like, all right, Kevin Biggio, you know, fine. Let's see what you have to say about there. So tonight at around 2.30, I will be tweeting Austin Hedges. <laughs> Austin Hedges. I love that. Austin Hedges. I mean, you, guys, you, I, go, no, you go with Richard Blyer tonight. Richard Blyer Richard tonight? Blyer. Yes. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, really, like... Richard Blyer is the not... David Fletcher of pitchers. Is he not? Yes. <laughs> no, we got to make him that. Have you guys yeah. seen all the David Fletcher memes? It's kind of insane. Yeah, what is the deal with David Fletcher? Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, I don't know. Everyone, uh, the Angels have so many players. They have Mike Trout, Anthony Rendon, Shohei Otani. But then the one player that their fan base really wants to elevate is like David Fletcher, who was really funny to. He's just really. He never like he never swings and misses. I guess which is why everyone loves him. But and he's just he's just turned into like he's our he's their Richard Blyer, I guess. He's we a, need he's to make Richard Blyer. Yeah, we need to make Richard Blyer into it, it's him and Jeff Mathis. We talked about Jeff Mathis before on this actually, which yes, is funny. Did. But David Fletcher and Jeff Mathis are the two players that. For some reason, everyone on baseball Twitter just baseball. is just obsessed with them now. I guess it's just, yeah, it's a cult following. But we need to get Richard Blyer to be that picture. Yeah, I'm going to get a David Fletcher. Well, after I get a Taylor Davis t-shirt jersey, I'm going to yes. get a David Fletcher t-shirt jersey. Oh, Taylor, um, by the way, I picked you up on my uh, my MLB The Show franchise as the Rockies. You're my starting catcher. Nice, you're Taylor. I, I walked off with you in one of the games. It was early on the year. <laughs> Run on second base, tie game in the ninth inning. Single. I hope, I hope you gave field. me the. I hope I. I hope you gave me the. Uh, like some dance where I inject ice into my veins. <laughs> <laughs> I have to figure out. Uh, that's funny. Anyway, I mean, we're all just trying to stay busy during during this really odd time. I mean, I, for 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 all of us, like, there's nothing to do. I mean, I guess school for me starts back on Monday, but there's really nothing to do other than just tweet random baseball players' names and see what people say because. I don't have any stats to really tweet. I don't really have yeah, any analysis. Man, are, There's no baseball being played. What are okay. you up to right now, Ben? What's the, you, what's the day in the life of Ben right now with no baseball? Dude, it stinks, man. Like, I So I was trying to stay around because obviously the a few of the 40-man guys wanted to stay down there you know, and have a place to work out. So I was trying to stay around and be like the last guy, a part of the last group of helping those guys. So when they told me I was going home, I drove from Sarasota up to St. Louis living with my girlfriend here and today was the first day it was over 40 degrees which was awesome um but i mean pretty much just i just downloaded mlb the show yesterday playing dynasty mode uh try and get outside walk my dog as much as i can and a few guys up here actually just reached out to me and said they might be throwing some bullpens and wanted to know if i could help them out so i might be doing that cool do you have a twitter much, man. yeah i do what's what's your what's your handle so the people and i can follow you um, yeah, I actually just changed it recently. So my new Twitter handle is at BPC Ben, which stands for Bullpen Catcher Ben, 1188. Oh, you follow me already. Thanks for thanks for following me. <laughs> oh, you're welcome, man. Soccer, you didn't follow that up with. Oh, I already follow you too. <laughs> I did. I didn't know what your hand, what your Twitter, what your Twitter was. I would have already uh, if I knew, but. I'm just joshing. Oh, I, fo- I followed Jeremy, but not Devin. Now I follow both of you. Great. Oh, that's tough. Hang with him. <laughs> <laughs> my, twi- my, 
my Twitter is much more fun during the baseball season. Right now, I'm kind of struggling existentially as well. So I'm just doing a bunch of random stuff. Like yesterday, I ran a poll. Um, I put some Pop Tart flavors out there and had people vote. That's pretty much what my off season is going to be like until oh, baseball. Heck yeah. So you're but saying if I come up with a good, more. if I have a poll idea, I can just kind of tweet at you and you'll kind of run with it if you like it. Sure. Yes, for sure. Absolutely. Anyway, all right. I think it is time. Okay, here. To wrap hold on. I got. I got. A, I got. I got one. Unless. Okay. Have, have we already? Unless we. We might have already talked about this. Did we talk about um, expansion cities? No, I don't think no. so. Okay, why don't everybody give if there's one? I know there's gonna be two, or if like if there is one, I get it. There's gonna be two. Um, would you guys rather give two places, or let's give two places? Give okay. the two places you you would want or think it should go. All right, I'll go with Montreal and Portland. I think those are just the the two cities that are talked about a lot. Montreal needs a team back. They have a very passionate fan base. I know a lot of people on Twitter are like just Expos fans. I don't know how you are an Expos fan without having seen baseball in like 15, 20 years or however, whenever they moved. I mean, it's been like a struggle having, I mean, opening day is tomorrow, supposed to be. Yeah, I, can't even, I don't know how I'd be rooting for a team if they didn't play for another 15, 20 years, but it is, they do have a passionate fan base up there. And I think the Pacific Northwest needs another team, which I think Portland would be a great, a great spot for that. Ben? Um, well, I was going to say Portland also. So my other team I was going to say was Vancouver. I think Vancouver, we've, I've gone there with in the minor leagues and it was freaking beautiful and awesome and that whole area up there like he said why not just expand up northwest i think vancouver would be awesome and for canada too Uh, i think for me i'll go kind of outside the box i'll go santo domingo and uh, mexico city i would love that too mexico city would be the new course they're so high up yeah they're like nine thousand feet or something like that yeah um, I, mean, I actually really, I actually really like Santa Domingo. I like that pick, and I think that's, I think that would be somewhat of a, like a sign. Like, dude, it is, it is so crazy that so many talented baseball players have come from one little island. Like, yep, it's unbelievable. So I'm actually, and if they had a major league team there, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that, that would be, be, that would be cool. It'd be a, that'd be a really, I'm with you. So I'm gonna change one of mine to that because I like that. Yeah, and, I love um, that too. They'd have the biggest home. Oh, crowd ever. Joke. Um, I'll go San Domingo. I'll be honest with you. I gotta go Nashville. I think um, that part of the country could yeah. use another team, and yeah, I, I think Nashville is a great city. So um, I know that, like, I know that Montreal is getting this like big boom. But like, why did the team leave in the first place? No idea. They ran out of money, I think, or something during the strike, so like, and then so and they'll be like, to take them over. Being, my question being, if you ran out of money, wouldn't it be because you weren't making you weren't making enough, or? Yeah, I, I don't, don't know. know the specifics. That's my only question with Montreal. Like, I'm with you. I think everybody's Expos fans because all the gear, like the old Expos gear, is so cool. Yeah. But like, I like why? I don't know. It just always it wonder it always I always wondered like why is there such a big hype when for some reason, they didn't have enough fans to stick around. Yeah, one yeah. one last city that no one brought up. I thought someone would bring it up, but I'm going to bring it up because no one did. I'm not going to put it as one of my two. Is Charlotte. I think Charlotte's talked about a lot, but they'd be another good option. There are so many good cities that would be options. The problem is they can't expand too many times because then the talent pool just – like the, the talent level of Major League would probably diminish a little bit. But I think two teams is, is needed. 32 is a perfect number for, for any sports league. I agree. That's gonna have. I mean, 30 teams is just. Why not just have 32? It just makes more, way more sense with the numbers. That, like two to the fifth power, just, just looks a lot better than 30. 
Leaving it on two to the fifth hour. Yeah, you just blew my mind. It just works out. That you either you should have sixteen or thirty-two teams in like every sports league, because then you could divide yeah. it eights or fours or. I was gonna say two. it's like the brackets, sixty-four down to thirty-two. Yeah, it makes right, sense. There's a reason it's like that. It's a reason why right. sixty-eight is just so awkward. Two to the fifth power, is... Taylor. Come on. Come on, come on, guys. No, you no, you're two to the ends, guys. Come on. <laughs> well, leaving it on that as uh, two to the fifth power. Thank you, Jeremy, for expressing. 32 and probably the, the the one way I definitely wouldn't. Let's go, um, to 20, let's go to 2048 teams. How about that? Yeah, let's do there that. Um, what anyway, that this was... What? what power is that to, to? Oh, like 2 to the 10th, 11th? Something like that. I don't know. That's the game 2048, and you have like 2, 4, 8, yeah, 16, yeah. 32, 16. Like all those game. numbers are just perfect for... Uh, for for an amount of teams. If you're going to have a 2,000-team sport league, you may as well just make it 2,048 teams. It's all <laughs> it just works out all with right. the divisions and the playoffs, and I don't know. Just like... <laughs> all right. Well, to, to, to leave it on that note, MLB <laughs> in 2020 will have 2,048 teams playing 111 games or something like that, right? The question <laughs> is, should we have nine teams in Montreal or ten teams? <laughs> Ooh. Uh, anyway, uh, I think that's just about time. Can't, yeah. can't, can't end it on anything else, especially because we got there naturally, too. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for listening to episode eight of the Frame the Conversation podcast. Because Jeremy Taylor and I have a lot of time, there will be more episodes in the near future as well. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Framing the Convo and uh, follow uh, ben Carhart as well, the Orioles bullpen catcher, who's going to now start tweeting random polls at Jeremy in hopes that he gets a retweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> BP Ben, BPC Ben, eleven eighty-eight. Yes, yes um, correct. And uh, keep listening to the podcast and wherever you get your podcasts. Stay safe out there. Stay at home. Don't transmit the virus to those who possibly may suffer more than you. Um, and everyone do well and let's hope for baseball soon enough. Thanks for listening and see you soon.